wonderful to worship the Lord. It really is. You know, sometimes <clears throat> I think about how crazy we must look to people that are not of the house of the Lord. We would look weird, strange, like what are they doing? But you know, it doesn't matter. The Bible says we can be fools for Christ. It is absolutely the truth. So, why don't you go in your Bibles to Judges chapter 11, please. I mean, nope, Judges chapter 7. And uh, we've been in a series. I'm just going to get into it. But before I do, I just want to make two quick announcements. Obviously, happy Independence Day tomorrow. It's wonderful. It really, really is wonderful. I think it's our 246th year as a nation. Is that right? And um, we are very grateful for those who have walked before. Amen? We really, really are. And so tomorrow, I trust you guys are going to have a good time celebrating independence, and uh, I really do. Secondly, my wife and I, for probably for about a year, have felt like we needed to just go on a little sabbatical, which is just an extended break. And uh, I've been in ministry, I think, now for almost 20 years, which is crazy. But um, we've never done that before. And we've been encouraged to do that. And so we're going to be pretty soon taking a, an extended sabbatical. But so I will speak about that next week. I just wanted to let you guys know that that'll be, that'll be coming up. And so I'm actually looking forward to that. It's going to be strange. Never done that before. But I feel like we need it. There's a lot coming that we'll get into a little bit next week. Just practically, lots of growth. We're going to look at expansion and a bunch of other, other different things that I want to talk to you about. But we're also going to go on sabbatical. So, you guys good? This morning, everyone good? That was very lame. Can we try again? You guys good? All right. Some of you just lied right there. I'm just kidding. So, Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7, 8 to 9. We've been looking at a series which I call The Church in This Hour. Um, you know, it's a series that God put in my heart many, many years ago. I, it would be impossible for me to recap everything for the last four weeks. It really would be. But you see, the, the church of God, or the Israelites, we, the Bible, the, the New Testament says, read the Old Testament with New Testament lenses. That's my words. So we look at it that way, because it, it's been given to us to help us, to encourage us, to exhort us. And so we see, in a sense, the church being subdued by that which surrounds them. And they begin to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, we, we need you. And they're crying out to the Lord to remove issues that they think are preventing them from walking in freedom or from them as a nation or whatever it is. And the Lord, in a sense, comes to them and starts to restore his voice. First thing he does, sends them a prophet. And he starts to re re restore the voice of the Lord in the house of God, which is a big deal. And we desperately need the restoration of the true prophetic in this hour. Desperately. And we are seeing God do that across, across the world in some circles. But we, we need that continually, even in our own hearts, to have our ear begin to be tuned to heaven. So the Lord does many things, but in a sense, He deals with His own people. And He deals with their offenses and their, and their idolatry and their... They were worshiping Baal, and he starts to deal with all of this within them, and then they start to turn on each other and want to kill each other, because they're like, you know, Lord, we're we, we asking you to take care of that problem, and he starts to speak to them about them, and that's how it is, and then they come together under one banner, 
under the presence of the Lord. The Spirit of God comes upon a man, comes upon Gideon. They recognize the authentic, the entire generation had never seen, and they begin to work together. They begin to come together, and they begin to see God begin to move again, the Spirit of God move again in the church. And this begins to happen, and then the Lord, it's strange, does kind of strange things in terms of he takes an army of 32,000, faced probably against about 300,000, and he says, yeah, uh, could you guys turn me a little down? Sorry, I'm a little loud. I can feel it's going to clip a little bit. Um, and he says, just a little bit. And he says, listen, there's too many of you, you know, because I don't want, when you win, I don't want you to think it's you. So he winnows down the army to 300, which is rather drastic. And, um, and we spoke about that last week. But if we could look at Judges 6, as I've said, as when God moves and works with his people, there's everything within the house of God. And I, I said it every week, I do see this text and this passage of Scripture prophetically for the church, global church, in this hour. I really do. It's like a blueprint for what, how God comes to restore, to renew, to revive, and then to bring awakening. Because he brings revival in his own people, in their hearts, and he returns them to the Lord in an in amazing, passionate way. But then it's all still within the four, four walls of the church. It's like, yeah, we're worshiping God over here, but society is unchanged. Everything continues to decline, in a sense, in the world, but the church is good. And so Judges 7, they start to go outside the four walls of the church. And they start to remember their God and remember what they were called to. And that's what we see here, where God takes his people, he revives the heart, he awakens the heart, he puts his spirit within you, you come alive, it feels like you've been born again again, who knows what I'm saying? And he says, all right, now remember what I told you. There's people all around the world that are in desperate need of the truth that you have and that you carry. And so this is Judges chapter 7. Now, as we tried to get through the whole thing last week, we couldn't. I failed. That's okay. I forgave myself pretty quick. But um, Judges chapter 7, you see the signs of an awakening church. When a church, when God is on the move and they start to arise, they start to, in a sense, wake up to purpose. And you see Gideon, uh, and you see that they learn to walk by faith, not by sight, by the winnowing down of the army, which I won't go into all of it. But then God sends this man into the enemy's camp. Remember, they were afraid. They were hiding in dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. Remember that? They were completely subdued. Now God sends this man who's filled with fear into this enemy's camp. And he goes there and he actually worships in the enemy's camp. And that's where we ended last week. What does the scripture say? For thou hast prepared a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. It's a different type of worship. It's a different type of spiritual food when you worship God in the midst of an enemy. Sometimes the enemy is you, yourself, your own heart, your own issue. And instead of shame and guilt and all the things the enemy piles on, we can learn to worship the Lord. Lord, I know, okay, I know, but I worship you. And sometimes it's in the midst of tragedy, crisis, whatever it may be. I did, I've had many people say, wow, you know, you really planned this series so well, you know, with some of the decisions that have been made in the nation. He spoke about tearing down strongholds and that then division is the response of the enemy and then it happened. And they were like, wow, that was, I'm like, well, I did not plan that. That's, 
you know, there is one Holy Spirit, so he says the same thing to us all. So it's just by the grace of God, it's just been a very timely, timely series. So I'm just going to read from Judges chapter 7. I trust most of you have been here, yeah? So if you haven't, I encourage you to either go listen and catch up and read, but I, I, I just cannot recap it all. But we're going to pick it up in Judges chapter 7, verse 9, when the Lord begins to speak to Gideon again. And it says, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go down with, to the camp with you, Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And after, afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, so he was afraid, to the outpost of the armed men who were, with, who, who were in the camp. And now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. Who's ever felt overwhelmed? Is it just me? Yeah, that's what's happening here. And it says uh, in verse 13, and when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion, and he said, I have never, sorry, he said, I have had a dream, and to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell over, it, so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. And we went into that last week. Then his companion answered and said, that is nothing but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Where? In the enemy's camp, of which he was formerly very, very afraid. And they were hiding in dens and caves in the mountains. Because when you begin to have the voice of the Lord restored in your heart, the voice of the Lord brings you life and strength. It really does. Am I good on this mic? This is just me that's hearing strange things. All right. The voice of the Lord truly brings you life and strength. And now this man who was afraid and hiding in dens and caves, and he's now worshiping in the enemy's camp, unafraid. And, then he, and so he worships by faith. He worships the Lord for victory before victories come. Then he goes back to his own brethren, and he begins to speak by faith for the first time in the whole story. And that's what confession means in the New Testament, to say what God says. But friends, oh, I don't want to start a, open a can of worms. To say what God says doesn't just mean to read the Bible and say it out loud. That helps. It's when God speaks into your heart and something comes alive, the rhema word of God. Something comes alive within you and you know it. Then when you speak it, it's different. It has authority in your mouth. It's not just parrot. It's not just repetition. It's a relational issue. Hello? So this is what happens to Gideon. And he begins to speak by faith for the first time. He begins to say what God has said, but with absolute conviction. And so this happens. Now we're going to pick it up there. So he said that an awakening church goes into the enemy's camp and begins to actually fulfill the great commission, goes out into the world. But an awakening church also equips the saints. And that's where we're going to start today. So let's read. It says, we'll pick it up in verse 15 again. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. And then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, 
For the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Now there's 300 against about 300,000. Then he divided the 300 men, just two verses, 16 to 18. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. It's kind of strange. Okay, that's a bit odd. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Just two verses. But very, very important. When the church of God, in a sense, remembers their God, remembers the Holy Spirit, remembers and learns His voice and knows His presence, and God's begin to revive the hearts of the church, and now it's like, well, we have, we've had revival, now what? Because revival often, in a sense, stops because it stays small. It stays just us, you know, us four no more, that little disease. Just us four no more, don't bring anyone else. That is the opposite of what we are called to do in, in, in the Scriptures. So now there's like an awakening starting to happen when the church breaks out of the four walls and begins to speak with truth and with love and begins to go out. And this is the equipping of the saints. An awakening church equips saints, not just preachers, pastors, or some other fancy spiritual title. Saints, Christians, every person, every believer. We always want to be equipping the saints, always. Discipleship, always. But can I say, when the Holy Spirit is involved, it goes much faster. Much faster. We have it in our minds. I can already sense we're not going to get done today. We have it in our minds. I'm going to study, then I'm going to understand, and then I will go do it. Whether that's seminary, whether that's just in my person, whatever. The Holy Spirit has never worked that way. Just so you know. He said, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do something. This is what happened with the disciples and Jesus. And they did not understand. How did that? Why did that? Why? How? I'm going to do something. Trust me. Listen to me. Obey me. Later on, you'll come to understand. That's exactly what happened. And after that, you'll write it down and teach others. That is the things of the Spirit. doesn't mean we throw our brains away. No, we go to the Word of God. But when the Spirit of God is given His rightful place in the house of God, when the Spirit of God is given honor in a person's heart, the relationship, the walking with the Spirit, the equipping from the Spirit happens much faster than just study alone. Much, much, much faster. And we need to be equipping the saints. So what does He do? First thing, how do we just, there's many ways to, do this, and I'm just going to go through this quick. It's things we know. Reveal what's been given to every person. It says, yeah, he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches, in, torches inside the pinches, uh, pitchers. So in other words, these are the tools, which is strange. We'll get into that. They're going to use to overcome the enemy that they face. We are called to equip saints, not just preachers, pastors, Every believer, I know in Ephesians 4 it talks about the fivefold ministry to equip the saints. If you know five scriptures, you can equip a person who knows four. We are called to equip the saints. 
I think I just spat on my wife. That was, that was actually some good distance. Sorry. But reveal what's been given. Show them the tools. Show them the weapons that we've been given because we fight not against flesh and blood. Teach them to hear the voice of the Lord. Teach them what the finished work of Christ, of, of Christ has actually done. The victory of the cross. Where does that place us? What does that mean? How does God see me? Teach them how to renew the mind according to truth and not according to culture. Teach them when to stand with wisdom and when to stand no matter what. Te like, give them the tools to begin. As they begin, it will look different for every person. But to equip the saints. Teach them to see through God's eyes. Teach them your sufficiency is in Christ, not in you. Teach them what the enemy sounds like in your thoughts versus what the Lord sounds like versus what you sound like. Basic tools. He put in the people's hands what they needed to overcome what they faced. This is the church's call, to equip the saints Spirit of God beginning to quicken people's hearts where a normal Christian, you, actually believes, not hopes, believes that they can go about their everyday life at work and, and actually speak to people and see God do things. Not just talking about miracles, changing hearts, restoring families, bringing marriages, actually just living it out because belief has been born. Belief is more important than knowledge. We need knowledge, but when belief, faith comes into my heart, it's, you know, something comes alive in a person. I can actually just do this. I don't have to be an expert. I don't, I just, with what I have. Hello? This is the equipping of the saints. To equip means, what does it say? To lead by example and not by instruction only. He says, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Like every parent, do what I say, not what I do. A good leader, he says, do what I do. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The church will not equip saints if we remain with instruction only. You have to actually do something. You have to do something. And sometimes, we don't know what to do. The Lord has said many things to me in the past, do this, and I'm like, Lord, I have no idea how to do that. He said, no, I know. I'll tell you a very quick story. When my wife and I were led the youth for, I don't know, eight, nine years, way back, the Lord spoke to me so clearly. I said, Lord, what do you want to do with these young people? And he said, show them my power and show them my love. I said, I don't know how to do that. So, we went to them and I said, I believe the Lord has called us to show you the power of God, the real, authentic, miraculous power of God, and to show you how he loves you. But I'm not, I'm not an expert. Can we do this together? They all were like, we're in. And let me tell you, we saw God do things that I could not even try and explain to you. Frequently. Supernatural things. Power healings, deliverances, all amazing things, frequently. But because there was no expert, see, we in the Greek mindset, when there's an expert in the room, learning stops. 
everyone becomes spectator. Look, watch the expert. This is trade school, it's not college. There's no experts here, just sons and daughters of a king. And there's none, one, not one above the other, friend. To equip saints means you, 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 you're not an expert. Bible says we cannot say we have, in, we cannot say we have no need of each other. And just because someone stands up here, the culture likes to put that person on a pedestal or make that person some. No, we're all together. And sometimes, the Lord through the Bible told them to do stuff. They're like, uh, 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 uh. he's like, yeah, just start, just start. <laughs> so, lead by example. Equip the saints with a call to action. He says, when I blow the trumpets, because he, remember it says he divided up the, the, the 300 into th three groups of 100. So there's obviously he pointed, I would, suggest, I would guess, a leader over each one. And does it say here, when I blow the trumpet, just the three leaders who are appointed shall blow the, no. It says here, when I blow the trumpets, then you also, every, all of them, 300, all the saints, you blow the trumpets on every side. Not just leaders, not just CEOs, not just moms and dads, all. All 300 equipping the saints. It's an amazing story. And as we know, we'll get there in a moment, but the enemy starts to attack each other. They get confused and they start to kill each other. See, the enemy will begin to tear each other apart. This only happens when the God's people have stopped tearing each other apart. This is what is six and seven. They came together. See, when there's enemy, when there's Division in the, in, in the enemy's house, whatever the enemy you're thinking of. When there's division, this is how God exposes corruption and injustice. Because they start attacking each other with self at the center. We see it all the time. Well, someone who was involved starts to stand up and say, actually, this is actually what... Ha they start to tell of what was happening. They start to tell the truth, either to save themselves or because God's changed their heart. But when there's division in the enemy's camp... Everything is exposed. I have found throughout church history, throughout this word, and in my own experience, division in the enemy's camp only comes when there's unity in God's house. Hello. And this is how God exposes injustice. All of a sudden, things start to be exposed because they start to kill each other. They start to, in a sense, like kids, tell on each other. Well, he did this. And then, you know, Fox News is like, oh, and then CNN's like, oh, and they're like, well, he did this, well, he did this, well, he did this. All throwing each other under the bus to save themselves. And, you know, we're like, go, have at it. Because there's been a uniting here. Saints are equipped when you include them in victory. Gideon encountered the Lord. Gideon worshipped where no one saw. Gideon tore down the altar of Baal. Gideon lost his reputation in front of his own people. Gideon heard from the Lord. Gideon was the one staying up all night, interceding, crying out. Gideon risked major offense by obeying the Lord. <laughs> and when all of that is done, 
they get to be a part of the victory, and they did none of that. When the Spirit of God rests upon a person, the Bible says the anointing. The anointing means to smear. So, sorry, Gary, you here, your family's here, so I embarrass you. If I pulled Gary up here and smeared him with peanut butter, I have anointed him with peanut butter, not with the Spirit of the Lord. That's what anointing means, to smear, to cover. When the Spirit of God comes upon a person, the Bible says in those moments, the anointing itself, when the Spirit of God, when there's a partnership between you and the Lord and you're actively doing something, you've been activated, in those moments, you will learn things that you can only learn there. It says the anointing will teach you. Because I've experienced it when the Spirit of God and you're ministering, you learn things about the Lord and about His kingdom and about the Spirit that no course can, even if they told you those things, you don't learn them the same. It's like how you learn to take apart an engine when you take apart an engine versus when you read about it. It instructs you deep into your soul and into your heart. So what happens, we do it often. We try to see the anointing of the Lord, in a sense, come into the room and then have a person give a word or then try to bring breakthrough and then let others experience what it's like to minister under it. That's what parents do. You feed them, clothe them, buy them, give them, no, 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 no. And then they're just like, this is easy. This is easy. You know, until they move out and they're like, oh, this is so hard. <laughs> Why? Because you're including them in your victory because it equips them better. Yeah. It, it really is that simple. So what happens? Well, let's read. Judges 7.19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. It's now between 10 and 12. And for those of you, the prophetic amongst you, who understand the Hebrew watches of the night, just quickly comment, little, little rabbit trail. I'm going to shoot it in a second. It won't last long. <laughs> there were three watches in the Hebrew night, and in the New Testament there became four and, uh, because of the Roman thing. But they were watches of the night, and they're actually important. But we won't get into that. But it's about between 10 and 12, and you can go look at what time of year this was and where it was. It's pitch black. It's like, you know, when you stand outside in those times, you're like, nope, can't see it. It's dark like that. And he says here, at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and every man stood in his place. Very important. All around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled, and when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia, towards Zeradah, as far as the border of Abel, Meholah, by Tabath. Those great names for children. So, this is what happened. It's strange. An awakening church, when God is on the move, something begins to, you die to shine. You're dying to shine. That sense of you die, you just long to, to see the, the, when the impossible becomes possible because God's in the house. There's that Oh, just dying, but it's a pun on words because in order for 
you know, we're dying to see God shine, to see us shine, but in order to shine, you have to die. And that's what I want to talk to you about really quick. This is vital. This really, honestly, I can say in this whole text, this is one of the absolute keys that transformed me many years ago. It says they were given trumpets, torches, and pitchers. It's odd. Often we read the Old Testament where they went to actual war, and in the New Testament we take the spiritual and we apply it because we no longer fight flesh and blood. But this is in the Old Testament, and he didn't even give them any actual weapons. It's a bit odd. Think about it. You're there. There's 300. There were 32,000. Now there's 300. All right, get in. You're hearing the Lord. Great. Here we go. You know, some of them maybe felt like that. Who knows? And he gives them a trumpet. They're like, oh, you want me to make this into a sword? Like, no, just trumpet and, and, and a torch. You know, like a thing with a flame. And, and then a clay pitcher, which was, it was a clay pitcher, like used for, used for uh, like, an, like a vessel they would use that was handmade. And it's odd. He says, all right, so what we're going to do to overcome the 300,000, think about it, we're going to surround them in the dark. And they're like, that makes sense. And then we're going to take the torches and we're going to stick the pitchers over the torches. Okay, and then we're going to blow the trumpets, and the torches are going to be alight underneath the, the clay jars, and we're going to smash the jars. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and okay, it's weird, strange. What's going on here? Well, let's look. What are the trumpets? It's that which is in your mouth. It's proclamation. It's the word of God or worship. To proclaim, to cry out, to speak forth. The torch is what? The Spirit of God. The Bible, all through, it calls the Bible, it calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit, the, the flame, the fire, the Spirit of God, the power of God. So you have the Word in one hand, and you have the Spirit, the Word and the Spirit in both hands. But what does it say? And you have these pictures. What's that? Well, that's you. People are like, what? Well, let's read. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 12. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, in other words, the ministry you have within you, sometimes it hasn't become alive yet, it's in you by the Spirit. It's because of what Jesus did, not because of you. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, in other words, their lives were like an example um, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That doesn't mean physically dying. It means when people are born on the earth, before, they, before salvation has taken place, the Bible says that we are DOA, dead on arrival. We are born dead in sin. Any, any person who is not saved is in a sense in a perishing state spiritually. So he's talking about the unsaved. He says, even if those... Um, it is veiled. The Bible says God is blinded. I mean, the enemy has blinded the minds. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we do not preach ourselves. That doesn't mean 
like, I don't preach, you preach. That means when we preach, we don't preach us, we preach Jesus. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. So there has to be darkness for light to shine. Who has shone where? In our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a fancy way to say the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel. Been hid in our hearts. But it says, but we have this treasure, this light, this knowledge, this truth, this authentic power. We have it where? In an earthen vessel. Whose translation says in jars of clay? That's actually what it means. So we have all of that in, in here. That the excellence of the power that's of God may be of God and not of us. Sounds a lot like what he said to them, to make sure they knew it wasn't them but him. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. It means to be at a loss. But not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. This doesn't mean sickness. He explains what it means in a second. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. And then he explains it. For we who live, especially this man Paul. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. He was under constant persecution and hardship. That's what he's talking about. That the life of Jesus, the supernatural, the vitality, the life of the Spirit may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. What he means is this. I'll read it this way. Paul modeled his ministry after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He actually modeled his ministry believing death leads to resurrection power. First he died, then there was power. So I'm going to actually go out and my life is going to be under constant hardship, persecution, trouble, famine, pestilences, nakedness, swords, peril, all the things he mentions. And we're like, well, that's not that great. But when that happens, it's a great trick back on the enemy. He says, because when that happens to me, life, resurrection, life comes alive. And when I speak, eternal life comes alive in that person. So that death, while, I'm under the, while this is happening to me, actually it's building resurrection, life, and power inside of me, depending on how we handle it. So this jar, back to Gideon, that's you. They have this, you are this, we have this treasure, where? In earthen vessels, in jars of clay, speaking about you. Sometimes it's like our soul, which is our emotions, our mind, and our will. It's like it covers our spirit like this. Because every one of us have the same Holy Spirit inside of us. Every person. He's not in you differently than he's in me. But our soul can cover it up. It's like a fire inside of a lead box. You put your hand on a lead box, how long does the heat you take? You know, forever. Versus a paper box. How much of you does it have to go through? And this is what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 4. And that's not to cause guilt, shame, or condemnation. That's the enemy's game. It's to understand that the Spirit of God never leaves you. Never leaves you, never leaves you, never leaves you. So Gideon 
in a sense, prophetically, it's amazing. He says, we have this light to overcome the enemy. They need to see the light, the power, the Spirit of God. But it's covered with us. But he's in here. But it's covered. So smash that. It's called dying to self. Smash that and the light shines. If that didn't happen, the enemy would not have ran and fled. Am I making sense? That clay jar is you. And I'm not talking about dying like, don't, you know, be a good little Christian, don't sin, don't do bad things. I'm not talking about this. This had already been dealt with in Judges 6. They had put away their idols. They had come together. They were worshiping. It's the reputational attack. It's the rejection when you start to speak about the Lord. It's the, when people walk away from you because you're actually honest about what God's doing in your heart. It's all that the foolish and the world considers it foolishness. It's that, and it hurts. That's what Paul faced, and it hurts. And he said, yeah, but when that happens, death may be coming to me. It may feel like I'm dying, but life will come into you. And this is it's, that's exactly what they do here in Judges. Smash the things that prohibit the spirit that's in you from shining. Not legalism, freedom. Do it in God. It's different for every person. What's very important to understand is that they didn't smash the persons next to them. They didn't go, well, you need to, you know, you, you, you need to do these and that and you need to be better. And No, they smashed their own one. Let God deal with them. Not every, you don't try to fix everyone else. There wasn't one guy who ran, smash, 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 smash. <laughs> Never happened. Some people think that that's their job. They are wrong. Because, friends, they had come to this point of being severely oppressed by the enemy seven long years, severely hiding in dens and caves. And they came to that and said, all right, Lord, my way is not working. Clayton in charge of Clayton didn't go so well. Really didn't. Almost killed me, actually. So you come to that, you're like, Lord, I'll do it your way. I'll do it your way. And I don't understand why, and I don't understand all that you're telling me to do. I, don't, I'll, I'll, I will trust you, and I'll obey you. Obey doesn't mean discipline. Obey is exciting because it means I can hear. You say, all right, Lord, just like them, we'll do it your way. And then he says, oh, God, speak to this person. I'll go, you're like, oh, that's, hmm. I'll do it your way, but, but, I mean, but not that. Because it brings a death to you. But then the Spirit of God is released. So there they stand, unafraid, if you can see it, around the enemy with the Spirit of God in one hand, the Word of God in the other hand, unafraid, and the Spirit of God unhinged, unquenched. And the enemy ran and started to destroy each other and all the corruption is exposed all the stuff is exposed because people were willing to have their vessel smashed for the sake of the kingdom 
Number next, an awakening church has victory. It says, every man stood in his place around the camp and the whole army ran, cried out, and fled. I don't have the time to go into this. I'll just go through this very quickly because I want to get to the next one. But Moses, one of the last words of Moses, just very brief, he sang a song, a prophetic song, one of the first prophetic songs in the Bible. They weren't doing that back then. And uh, so he sings this prophetic song, but he says to Joshua, he commands him, make sure that every generation of Israelites is taught this, this, the words of this song. He said, is it, a, it, is, it is an instruction to them. And it's in that song, you know, that's the, the text or the saying, one will chase a thousand, two will chase. It's in that song. So these Hebrew boys, these Jewish boys grew up with this thing about when God's people have walked away from him, one of them will chase a thousand of us. But when we're with the Lord and when we're together and when we're partnering with God, it's like one of us will chase a thousand. And they grew up with this in their hearts, saying it, thinking, imagining, man, I want to be part of that day. It's like us when we read the great men and women of old, the great men and the great, you know, heroes of the faith, how they shook nations. And you, you read it and a thirst and a hunger comes to you and you want to, God, do that again. Who knows what I'm talking about? Where we see the impossible become possible. We see a nation shook. People's hearts changed. They grew up with this like, but that was what was in their mouth. One to a thousand and two will chase ten thousand. You know the ratio according to scholars which was one to a thousand. The Bible tells us there was 135,000 of one of those three groups. Altogether it was about 300,000. But they were willing to die but they got to experience a time when the impossible became possible because one watched a thousand flee before them. Something of the deep desire of their heart that they'd grown up with hearing about happened in front of them. And they experienced victory God's way. But they gave themselves to death to see it. This is a position, and I don't mean this to scare you, but this is a position that the church needs to remember in this hour. Give yourselves to it. Then, let's, I was going to talk about when God exalts you, but let's, let's go to number six and then I'll end with this. In, in a sense, I'm supposed to be ending now. But there are tests of victory. Can I just read nine verses out of Judges 8? You guys good? I'm trying to end the series. I'm trying. Judges 8. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, so what happened was the men of Ephraim went and killed these two princes. So they did a good thing. It's like they took care of principalities. And it says here, yeah, the men of Ephraim said to him, why have, you not, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. I want to be like, just, mm. I mean, all that he's done. And they're like, eh, we don't like it. You should have included us. I mean, you know, those wonderful people. It says here in verse 2, So he said to them, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiazar? He's putting himself under them. He's saying, Oh, you're much better. God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? 
Then their anger toward him subsided when he had said that. So he like, was like, yeah, you're better than me. And they were like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> then it says, verse 4, when Gideon came to Jordan, when he came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over exhausted. You know when the Bible says exhausted, it's not like after gym, after you go to the gym. It's different exhaustion. It's battle. It, it's, many of us have not experienced it. It's not just like, oh, I need, I'm just, I'm just sit down for a little bit. No, it's like they're close to death. It says they were exhausted, but still in pursuit of the army that fled. Then he said to the men of Sukkoth, they come to this place, group of God's people, town of Sukkoth. Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they're exhausted. And I'm pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna. These are the kings of the people they're fighting, kings of Midian. And the leaders of Sukkoth said, are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, for this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. So he was a little upset. Then he went from there to Penel, or Peniel, and spoke to them in the same way, and the men of Penel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered, and he spoke to the men of Peniel, saying, when I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. So a little bit of interesting thing. So what happened? There are tests when victory is happening, when there's that momentum and God is on the move, there are tests that come with victory. There are many, but I'm just going to give you three real quick. Many. The first is the praise of men. The praise of men will come your way. Wow. Now you say, well, they didn't praise him, they reprimanded him. But what he didn't do is go into, well, yeah, but what you don't know is I met God. And he revealed himself to me and he touched the sacrifice and it burnt up and then I did this and I tore down the altar and, I, and they're like, wow, you're amazing. He didn't do that. He just said, yeah, you guys are awesome. The praise of men. He let it go because he was more interested in the advancing of the kingdom than their opinion of him. This is a test that comes in victory, friends. It is a test. I'll say this, and I never said this publicly, and if you were one of them, that's fine, because I don't know who they were. I was standing in a store once, shortly just before my dad asked me to take over the church, and I had a person come to me and say, you know, you're this, and all this stuff. You're the anointed one, and you're this, and you're that, and you're this. And we've gathered 40 people, and we're going to pay you this much money, and we're going to start a we want you to come and start a leave here and come and start a church down in Percival. And uh, all this flattery. And I knew straight away, their heart is good. I said, thank you, but no thank you. It will come. Just see it for what it is. The praise of men. Secondly, and I'm going to go through this quick. For me, this has been difficult at times. The price that others pay when they're following something that you've started. Gideon started this thing, and now these men are close to death and exhausted, and that is hard for him. It's hard. But I would just say, press on. If you know it's the Lord, press on. Some of us husbands feel like that at times. Fathers, I only know because I'm not a mother or a wife. You know, they've... Men know what I'm talking about. There's a tough time in the family, tough time financially, and you feel it. You feel it. Listen to the Lord and press on. 
And lastly, very quickly, betrayal from within. They come to God's people, Sukkoth. These are the people in Judges chapter 6. They cried out to God, deliver us from the Midianites. Deliver us, God, help us. This is awful, God, help us. Gideon's doing it, right? He's literally an answer to their prayer, and he comes across them in great need, in, like in battle, and they're like, eh, let's wait and see what happens. You know, you know what Sukkoth means? Booths. It was a temporary shelter and refreshment place. That's what their name meant. Then he goes to the people of Penel. They face, their name means those who face God. Those who, in a sense, are aware of where God's eye, what he's actively doing right now. And that tower that was there was most likely like a holy tower. It's like a sacred place. So he comes to those who are supposed to be for refreshment and those who are supposed to know what's on God's heart. And they both say, uh, yeah, well, I mean, you haven't won yet. So, yeah, let's just wait and see. It's betrayal from within. It is a test in victory. Now, he probably didn't handle it the best way. It says later, it's funny to me as a guy, it says he took the thorns and briars and taught them. <laughs> the Bible's very polite. He taught them. I don't know how you would teach them of that, but... But the point is this, we say, that's shocking, how can they do that? But we all often have that in our hearts. Someone stands up for something. We have a person right now who's about to stand up publicly, was on the news and standing up for the truth that a parent decides for their child, not a school. And so it's like, well, I don't wanna you know, associate with them, let's see what happens first. No, decide now, decide now. It's let's see what happens, and if it goes well, then I'll be like the men of Ephraim, a bandwagon Christian. Oh, I'm their friend. Oh, boy. Oh, now we're being honest. Hey? No, friends. Decide in the moment. Decide now. Lord, I stand for truth. Can I read you something? These, and then we'll end in this. Paul said finally in Philippians twice, so I said it three times, my apologies. But these people did not, they were not faithful to what the name meant. They didn't do what they were actually called to do. They didn't do, they, they didn't fulfill the meaning of their own names. We are called, tomorrow is our 246th birthday as a nation. And I am a citizen now, which I'm very happy about. But, but we are similar in terms of, no one's, you know, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm not. But we are, it is the country, these United States, and we are not united. Similar, not, for, not united. So I'm going to read you a quote, and we'll end with this. It's a reminder that the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel is the great undoing of all injustice, of all tyranny, of all. It has to start with God's people, and I'll show you why. It's, I think it may come up behind me. The greatest tyranny that afflicts mankind, even as we celebrate Independence Day, is the condition of sin that every person is born into because of the sin of first Adam. 
This affliction, sin, comes with a most awful weight upon the human conscience, which shall remain unmoved apart from divine intervention. In other words, salvation. This affliction, sin, carries with it a wage, a sentence which no persons can escape nor overcome, for this wage is death. However, neither the weight of sin nor its wage are the reason to name sin as the greatest tyranny. For the greatest form of tyranny, this is why sin is the greatest form, the greatest form of tyranny is when those who live under its oppression are unaware of its presence nor of their condition and will yet be subject to the severity of its consequences. Every other form of tyranny, national, political, whatever, will remain, at least in part, until the greatest tyranny has been unmasked and laid bare, in a sense, in a person's heart. For without this, what is built in the name of freedom has the potential to fail because it will be dependent upon the heart of men or man to uphold it. And the heart of man, in other words, apart from the Lord, is quickly deceived and can be swiftly turned towards wickedness. And so, in this region, God put you. He put you for this purpose. He put you. You have a trumpet in your hand. He put you and me and your children and you. You are a carrier of freedom. You are a carrier of freedom, even when it feels like you are being smashed. You are a speaker of truth, even when no one is listening. You are a partner of Yahweh, of God, even when it brings you persecution. You are his partner. This is the house of the Lord. Amen? Can we stand? I'm going to pray a short prayer and I'm going to hand over to Tommy. Why don't you come? I trust this series has been helpful to you. I know it's a lot. Can we just put our hands on our hearts real quick? Thank you for your grace. We went over time. I feel okay about it. So, you know, I'm looking forward to your emails. Let's just put our hand on our heart real quick. I want you to close your eyes. And if you can repeat after me. Lord, awaken us in this hour. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Clayton. You are a carrier of freedom. That was cool. I encourage you to carry it intentionally and with grace and with love. There is going to be a ministry team over here to pray with you if you would like to. If you are new here, thank you. Thank you for visiting. Uh, please uh, stop by and have a chat with the connection team on your way out or say hello to someone new. Enjoy the fourth. Enjoy celebrating. Have a wonderful long weekend. We'll see you next week. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are so glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can connect with you. 
To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you are a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you! Join us for the next Encounter Night on July 9th at 6.30 p.m. Encounter Night is an amazing time of worship, prayer, and prophecy. Childcare is provided. We hope you'll join us for this special evening. Want to serve but don't know where to start? Check out our Serve at FLC page on our website. There are many opportunities to serve here at Free Life and you can use your gifts and passions to make a difference. Follow the QR code or visit our website for more information. Living Free Ministry is now accepting summer appointments. We would love to help you restore a deeper connection with the Lord and find freedom from what may be holding you back. Email livingfree at freelifechurchva.com to schedule an appointment. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving, and we invite you to give towards the work God is doing. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. We thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.